So the transformation of the animals in the kingdom. And so let's get started. I wanted to share just a little bit about why it was that I began having a look at this particular subject. Um, I had always grown up, uh, I grew up as a Christadelphian in a Christadelphian home. And one of the things from a very early age that I looked forward to was uh, witnessing what we read about in Isaiah chapter 11, the transformation of the animals in the kingdom, um, adopting behaviors and, uh, and practices that you never see of the animal kingdom today, at least in the examples that we have described here. And it wasn't until on this particular point, it wasn't until uh, just before the birth of my first daughter, who is now eight, that I really had to t come to terms with the fact that I didn't know enough about the kingdom and about what it would be like for sure, as I think I should have. And I wanted to be more prepared for that so that when it came time to begin to share these things with my daughter, that I could do it having gone through it independently and with more conviction than I had before. So that's where this story, this, uh, this story gets started for me about having a look at this particular subject. This is an absolutely incredible chapter. And one of the things that I found in going through Isaiah chapter 11, not just this context, but, but some of the other uh, principles and prophecies that Isaiah sits upon in scripture, uh, it has really helped me to, to reaffirm my belief in the things that I've had since I was a little child. So I wanted to give that to you as an introduction so that we can get started on that now. So this was really the first big question that I had as it relates to this chapter. Is what we read, especially in verses 6 through 9, is it literal or allegorical? So I just want you to think about that for a second. As Christadelphians, we put a lot of stress on the, the literality of, of prophecy, the realness of prophecy. And uh, none of that's changed, by the way, after going through this study. We believe in a literal kingdom that will be established upon this earth. And there is going to be a literal transformation of the world that will come about as, the, as, as a result of the rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ and those who become part of his body from all ages when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to raise the dead and to judge them and to draw them to himself, glorify them, and then together change the world. That's, that's what we believe. None of that's changed for me. But what I have learned about Isaiah chapter 11 is that I now see that it's not simply about this literal wonder. There's something something else that's just wonderful about this. So when it comes to Isaiah chapter 11, as with many other kingdom prophecies, there is this literal narrative. And verses six through nine, I will suggest to you, are entirely literal. However, something can be literal and allegorical at the same time. And that's what scripture would lead us to believe when we carefully examine this context and also um, other contexts in scripture. There's an allegorical meaning that sits upon it. And we have to remember that as Christadelphians. It's not just, it's not just about looking for the lesson, as essential as that is. It's about understanding the literal truth of the matter as it is revealed in Scripture as well. And it's, it's not really fashionable, 
as, as I'm sure we all know, to talk about, um, to talk about truth in a post-truth world, in a my truth and your truth world. Uh, there, are, there are things, many verses in scripture that would lead us not just to believe, but to be, to, to be convicted about the sense that we have the truth. And that's not something that we can say arrogantly or condescendingly. We can only be thankful about it, but we can't be embarrassed about it either. And I think in the world that we live in today, we have to make sure that we are, we are retaking that confidence back from a world that's trying to take it, take it away from us. And this prophecy is another example of those things. It's, it's the literal kingdom that we're looking forward to, but there is a wonderful meaning behind the literal experience that we read about in Isaiah 6, Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9. And just before we talk about this literal narrative, you know, it's, I just want to give you an analogy about this as well. You know when it was that the Lord Jesus Christ went about in the days of his flesh with the apostles, and they went about teaching and preaching and healing and raising the dead and doing all the things that we read about, not just in the Gospels, but also in the Acts of the Apostles. Now, we believe that. But when the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostles were performing these miracles, for example, they literally happened. But the Lord didn't do it indiscriminately. They did it purposefully. And there was, there was a kind of restraint that the Lord employed as well, where although he could have healed everyone, it wasn't the time to do that. So he literally did that, but he, let, he healed them of their physical maladies so that they might learn the lesson about what it was that they really needed to get their spiritual lives in order, to get their relationship with the God of all the universe in order so that they might experience not just uh, the, the literal goodness that would come in the future, but also the, the spiritual communion that must come as a prerequisite to that as well. So what do we read about the, that's just a really broad introduction, but I've been thinking about it for a long time and I, I wanted to make sure that we connect it to some larger areas as well. Isaiah 11's gotta be literal, it's got to be allegorical as well. And part of the reason we know that is because of the way that it was in the beginning. And so it says in Genesis chapter one at verse 30 that to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And so what we learned from this in scripture is that the animals were once uh, herbivorous, or herbivorous. They were eating... Um, not the flesh of other animals, even those that were once carnivorous, but they were, they were all once herbivorous. Now, to say that now, most of the world would label us as being fools. And, and if that's what's going to happen, we have to, we, we have to be right in there with the Apostle Paul and say, all right, we're, we're fools then. That's, that's just fine. But that's the way it was as revealed in the scriptures of truth. But we know we could go to many passages to talk about the way that it became in the animal kingdom. But just think about this. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 32 at verse 34. 
And as part of the judgments against the people of Israel for breaking his covenant, the God of heaven said that I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust. So since the fall, as a result of the fall, as a matter of fact, wild animals would bring death and destruction to the children of Israel when they broke God's covenant. You might, you might be saying, wait a second. How often did that happen? Well, when we think about it, it did happen a couple of times. And I'm talking about that which is literal now. There were times when wild animals brought death and destruction to the children of Israel when they broke God's covenant. Can you think of any times when the teeth of beasts were sent upon them? Can you think about any time when the poison of serpents were set, sent unto them? And I'm sure in thinking about that, you can, you can come up with situations where, well, actually, yes, there were literally wild animals that did come against the people in judgment at particular times. The one about serpents might jump right up in the book of Numbers where it speaks about the fiery serpents that were among the children of Israel. And it was as a result of that, that uh, to save the people that Moses was commanded to fashion a brazen serpent and to raise it upon a pole so that whoever would look upon that serpent would live. Well, that was, that was a literal event. We believe that those things are literal. But if you're thinking in the back of your mind, well, Although that, those are, that's one literal incident, we're talking about things that are primarily allegorical there. Uh, I would agree with you there as well. Certainly, both are true. There were literal beasts that came upon the children of Israel, and there also were um, allegorical ones, figurative ones as well. So now, what about the allegorical meaning? Well, here's what it's all about, right? Man, in his natural state, without understanding is as the beasts that perish because the beasts simply follow their own impulses, that own law that governs their bodies. They submit to it. It has dominion over them and they just follow their instincts. And that's the same. Uh, the lesson that comes out of that is that that's exactly how it was with those that had um, were about to creep into the Ecclesia in Peter's day. And he actually describes these particular people as Animals. So this is reading from the King James, 2 Peter chapter 2 at verse 12. And he's describing those who would come in. It says, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. So just a couple of notes here. Um, that word natural there. Um, means just that, physical or instinctive. These people follow their own, uh, their own law, their own way. They are natural. And the word brute there uh, actually is a word that means without the word. And it's taken to mean irrational or unreasonable. They're made to be taken and destroyed speaking evil of the things that they do not understand, and they shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Uh, Jude 10, it's interesting, Second Peter talks about that which was to come, and Jude um, speaking back, speaking about Peter's prophecy in Second Peter 2, is actually giving us a commentary about that which had already come into the Ecclesia. There were those who were like 
these kinds of animals within the meeting at that particular time. People who were like the beasts, who were natural, who are instinctive, who are irrational, and as it describes in Second Peter and in Jude, violent, destructive, and also self-destructive as well. And a careful reading of Second Peter 2 and also Jude at verse 10 um, leads us to believe that all six of these descriptions are accurate about the beasts and about people who were like them. Now, here's one for you. Proverbs chapter 30. So we know very often in scripture, animals, uh, the beasts of the field, creeping things of the earth are, are used allegorically to describe different kinds of people. And that's exactly what we read about in Proverbs chapter 30. So we have ants and what is it that they do that makes them exceeding wise? Or I'll just read that there for you. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. Now, this is interesting because we're talking about the wisdom of animals here. And it might seem kind of strange to, to speak about animals as having wisdom, but that's the way that God describes it. It's not a wisdom that is taught as much as it's wisdom that is given instinctively to them. And that's how it was that God created them and that they developed. So ants are able to prepare food. Uh, the hyraxes are able to make houses. They do that in the rock. The locusts move together. And the geckos can appear anywhere. I think the King James says spiders, but uh, gets really tricky translating some of those uh, names sometimes. And like a gecko, a gecko-y kind of, is that a word? Gecko-y? A gecko-y kind of lizard is able to scale up the walls with the little pads on his feet. Um, and that's what it appears to be saying there in Proverbs chapter 30. But the point is that all of these are given as lessons for how people ought to be. If we are wise, to prepare ahead of time, to be mindful of our weaknesses and stay among the rocks for protection, to stay among the rock. Locusts moving together as the people of God should do, as long as they're moving in the right direction. And geckos appearing absolutely anywhere, able to um, survive in, in any kind of environment. So if we have a look over here at Hosea chapter 13, this is another uh, allegorical expression about how it was, was that the animals would become. It's really important to understand this background before we come to Isaiah 11, because I find that with this foundation, when we read Isaiah 11, it just falls into a beautiful, into a, a beautiful context, into, into a beautiful interpretation. So the lion, the bear, and the leopard are here used as symbols. God of heaven says, therefore, I will be unto them, speaking about his people Israel, as a lion, as a leopard, by the way, will I observe them. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps and will rend the call of their heart, and there will I devour them like a lion. The wild beasts shall tear them. So that's how God describes the judgments that he would bring 
using other nations to judge his people. He was sending those nations against them and God could be said to be doing that because he was orchestrating all of these judgments through his providence. And you know, you're thinking lion, you're thinking leopard, you're thinking bear. And when we think about those, we, our minds do jump very clearly to Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, not his uh, image, not his dream, but it's Daniel's dream where he gets the dream of those beasts that correspond to the metals of the image. And it, were, it was those animals that would be sent against the people of God for judgment for breaking his covenant. So with that being said, I just want you to have a look in your Bibles, please, at Isaiah chapter 11. And we're just going to have a look at verse 9. It's been revealed that at the very beginning... The animals were not carnivorous as they are now. And Isaiah 11 gives us this picture where the animals, their eating habits are changed. Their constitutions must be changed. Their instincts must be changed. And although we believe that to be literal, as we do the other prophecies of the kingdom all throughout scripture, there's also an allegorical meaning as well. So if you have a look at verse 9, I want you to think about this, not only from the literal um, approach to this, but especially the allegorical. Verse 9, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so they're linked Isaiah 11, verse 9, it's linked with Numbers 14, 21, Habakkuk 2 and 14, the end of Psalm 72. So many passages, Isaiah 6 and the Song of the Seraphim, that speak about this time when the knowledge of the Lord or the glory of the Lord covers the earth. So this is a significant passage. But the question is, when did the wild beasts hurt and destroy in Yahweh's holy mountain. And when we ask that question, when we answer that question, the allegory begins to unfold for us. We just had a look at when wild beasts are sent against the people of God in the book of Hosea and the prophecy of Daniel we alluded to as well. And some of those beasts did come up to hurt and destroy in the holy mountain. Look at what it says in Jeremiah Chapter 50, Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria hath devoured him. And last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, hath broken his bones. And although the Assyrian did try to get into Jerusalem, he couldn't do it in the days of Isaiah. But what the Assyrian could not do in the taking of the city the Babylonians did hurt and destroy in the holy mountain. And so we know that wild lions are used as a symbol of the kings of Assyria and Babylon. And here, domesticated and scattered sheep are used as symbols of Israel. And that, that becomes the key to understanding Isaiah chapter 11, I would suggest. 
We alluded to this earlier in the prophecy of Daniel, the vision of the four great beasts, the lion representing the Assyrio-Babylonian kingdom, the bear representing Media and Persia, the leopard representing Greece. All three of these referred to in Hosea chapter 13. And then the fourth dreadful, terrible, strong, exceedingly beast, which represents the Roman Empire, which empire, a revival of it, will come against the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints just before the fullness of the kingdom is established. So how would we summarize this? Well, the law predicted that Israel would be punished for breaking the covenant with their God. And the curses of the law described how Yahweh would bring wild animals and foreign nations against them. We'll look at a passage um, a bit later on in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, that shows this very clearly. But I wanted to save that passage. Uh, there's a better place for it in this talk, which is later on. But that's where these things in the law are described. And also, as we've seen, animals are often used as symbols of the nations in the word of God. That's very clear, very easy to prove so far. And especially that's true in the prophets. And now what we're going to do is switch gears just a little bit. And I want you to have a look at this quote here and just let it sink in. Because this is such a good one. Um, I don't know whether you've ever read this book. I have not read it cover to cover, but I've read, I've read a good deal of it. Uh, especially as it relates to many of the kingdom prophecies. And I remember when I first got my hands on this book, Ministry of the Prophets, Isaiah, by Brother C.C. Walker. And the earlier sections were written by, I think through chapter five, were written by Brother Roberts. And after he fell asleep, Brother C.C. Walker picked up this, uh, the writing of this and finished the book. And I remember reading it when I was younger. And I just... I didn't find it particularly helpful. And isn't it amazing, brothers and sisters, how you can have a look at a book and you put it away for a while and you take it back out again and you don't know what happened to make that book so good in the meantime? That, that was my experience with the Ministry of the Prophets. This is a, this is a, it's a fantastic book. It's a wonderful book and gives a, a wonderful treatment of the themes in the way that Brother C.C. Walker did. Some really good exposition there. And when he comes to talk about Isaiah chapter 11, are you ready for this? He uses this expression on the screen. He says that there are many um, hints that the Bible gives to let us know about what the kingdom will be like. And he calls them this phrase. He, he calls it a glimpse of possibilities in the kingdom. Oh, I like that one. A glimpse of possibilities. And so what we're going to do for the next little bit is have a look at some of the glimpses of the possibilities in the kingdom. Because if you think that the transformation of the animals in the kingdom is just simply based on what we have here in Isaiah chapter 11 and maybe another one in Isaiah 65, then we don't really see how powerful this is. And I didn't see how powerful this was until I went through and looked at some of the other passages. Uh, 
And it's important to, give, uh, to keep something in mind as we do this. And this is what makes doing the daily readings so incredibly important. When we are reading about how it was that God has worked with his people in the past, all the way through, we are given hints, suggestions, and in many cases, specific explicit prophecies about what's going to happen in the future. That's what makes Bible reading so important because we, we we're looking at glimpses of possibilities of the kingdom and, and glimpses of realities of the kingdom all the way through our readings. It's why, it makes, it's why a study of the angels is so important because we're gonna be made like unto them. So when we look at what it was that they've done in the past and how they're working, we learn about what we are going to be doing. When we look at um, the wonderful healing in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, where the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets go out and preach and teach and heal, that is a glimpse of the possibilities of the kingdom. They're little examples that show us the kinds of things that we're gonna be doing in the kingdom. That's incredibly powerful. And so the more we know about our scriptures and the more faith we have in these things, the stronger will be our desire to be there in the kingdom. So what are some of the glimpses of the possibilities about the transformation of the animals in the kingdom? Well, let's just have a look at a couple of the passages. So these are a number of passages that have to do with animals doing things that their natural instincts would never lead them to do. And I remember doing this Bible class at one time, and this was the first uh, verse I brought up in this section, as it is now. And, and a brother said, it was rather informal, and a brother said, uh, well, you can't really use this one because the fear of the animals wasn't yet upon them until they left the ark. I was like, that's a really good point. But I kept it in here anyway, and here's why. <laughs> because the more I thought about it, although it's entirely true that the, the fear of man was not in the animals as yet until the animals left the ark, the scriptures make that clear at the, as they're let out, I don't think it was part of the animal instincts to be gathered together unto Noah in this particular way. Natural instincts would not lead the animals into the ark in this particular way. Now. The brother was absolutely right. Um, there wouldn't have been fear either way, probably, um, because that's not revealed until after. But still, animals don't tend to move in this particular way. That would have been quite a work to do based only on the animal's natural instincts. So these animals had to learn how to do something, had to be led to do something that was against their nature to do. So here we, here's another one. This is uh, 1 Kings chapter 13 at 28, and it says that he went and found his body thrown in the roads. This is the old prophet and the younger prophet, and the older prophet has, been, has met his match with the lion. And it says that he went, this prophet went and found the old prophet's body thrown in the road. And the donkey and the lion standing beside the body and the lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. So look, natural instincts would not encourage the donkey to remain beside a lion. Come on. It just, just wouldn't have happened. And natural instincts would also not restrain a lion from devouring a body he had already killed. So these are, these are 
examples in scripture, not unlike what we have in Isaiah chapter 11, which is a kingdom prophecy, where we have animals that are working against their natural instincts, as it were. And no, oh, of course, natural instincts would also not deny a lion of an easy meal like this donkey. I have no idea, by the way, if lions like donkeys, but you get the point. This is unnatural. So 1 Kings chapter 17, just a few chapters over, God said to Elijah that I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And this isn't what ravens do naturally, these, these scavengers, as I understand them to be. They would not have provided a man with food at regular intervals unless it was that there was something that was overriding their instincts. And in Daniel chapter 6, of course, this is a very well-known one. You see, the more we think about this, there's lots of examples of this. Natural instincts would not close the mouths of hungry lions. Daniel said to the king, My God sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me. And also over here, when we read that the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. So, Natural instincts would not open the lion's mouths at that very moment that the, addition, the additional guests arrived for dinner. But it happened here. These are glimpses of what we see in Isaiah chapter 11, where it will be that there will be a change in the nature of the animals, at least beginning where it says that that change will begin. Well, of course, we know about the record of Jonah, how the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow him up, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So a fish swallowing a person only to release him safety, safely excuse me, on land a few days later is what we read about here, not something that comes about by the animal's natural instincts as we understand them now. Now, what about this one? Oh, I love this. I think this is my favorite one. You know about this one. Where the Lord rides into the city at the last time. So the command is given uh, to the disciples to uh, prepare for Jesus' entry into the city in the last week of his life. And he commands them, he says, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And do you remember the scene there? Was that a quiet scene with the Lord riding into Jerusalem? It was a loud, emotional scene with people crying out Hosanna as he was riding in, putting the palm branches down. 
Natural instincts do not allow a person to ride an untrained colt of any kind through an emotional crowd of people. But here the Lord is, he's sitting upon this animal, having dominion upon it, riding in, totally against natural impulses and instincts of any kind. So these are all examples we have of the animals at certain times in the past, specific animals working against their nature or being for a time transformed that give us this, that anticipate this wonderful vision that we have in Isaiah. Well, what about the way it will be as far as the natural animals are concerned? We're talking natural animals here. Now, this is where the study really started to, to take root and to solidify in my mind. It was in this passage in Hosea and in the family of passages that Hosea links up with that we'll have a look at. Look at what it says about the people of God, uh, the nation in particular in the age to come. It says, in that day, will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground and I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. And, and here, I, I believe we have everything here in Hosea chapter 2. And we're going to see that this is not just an exclusively Hosea uh, way, of, way of expressing the truth here. It's much more than that. So we read in Hosea 2, verse 18, that there will be no more animals that desolate. That's the promise that's given here. And also that there will be no more nations that destroy. And so it will be that God will make a covenant with these animals, as it says, for Israel. Now, you might say, well, that's kind of strange to say. We, we have to be talking allegorical things. Well, didn't God make a covenant as well concerning all of the natural creation as well? When Noah and all of the animals left the ark, wasn't there a covenant made there? And wasn't there a symbol of that covenant, the rainbow, given to show that God would no longer destroy the earth in that fashion? So we're talking about two different things here. God makes a covenant with the animals for his people Israel so that they would not desolate their land anymore, so that they would not, so that also the nations would not destroy anymore, breaking the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth. And because of that, he gives rest for his flock, rest for the father's flock. He will make them to lie down safely. And so those metaphors come together here. As well, we've got a literal, a figurative, and then we have the rest for the father's flock. That's Hosea chapter 2 at verse 18. Now, I have a couple of passages down here, and I really think it is worthwhile to turn uh, these up. So let's have a look at Leviticus. This was the passage from the law to which we alluded earlier. And I'm going to leave this slide up here while we read, because the four headings that you see up here, the four notes, 
No more animals that desolate. No more nations that destroy. The covenant and the rest are all expressed here in Leviticus chapter 26. Look what it says in verse 6 of Leviticus 26. This, the blessings and cursings of the law. And I will give peace in the land, and ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land. Neither shall the sword go through your land. And at verse 9, he says, For I will have respect unto you, and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and establish my covenant with you. So we have the lying down safely. We have the covenant. We have no more animals that desolate. And there are no more nations that destroy the sword no longer going through their land, as the sword had gone through their land for centuries as a result of their rejection of God's covenant. And it's also in Ezekiel chapter 34. So just have a look here as well. We can see all these ideas coming together here as well. This time in verses 25 and 28. This is verse 25 now of Ezekiel 34. And I will make peace, excuse me, and I will make with them a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beasts to cease out of the land and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. In verse 28, and it says, and they shall no more be a prey to the nations. Neither shall the beast of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely and none shall make them afraid. So in Leviticus, in Ezekiel, in Hosea, and also Isaiah, as we will see, there is a prophecy that is, there are, there's a consistent prophecy given that they will not be overrun with the wild animals, which had brought judgment on them before. But there were greater wild animals than those. There were the nations, people who acted themselves like animals that would bring judgment upon the people of God for a time until he would establish his covenant among them when they will turn to him. That is the great blessing of the kingdom that we read about. Now, look at this. All of this takes place in Isaiah chapter 11. It says, in the holy mountain. And, and there's been a lot written about, you know, where, I don't know if there's been a lot, I, I guess there's been a lot spoken about, and I've wondered it myself, how um, widespread will this transformation be in the kingdom? Because in Isaiah chapter 11, it does say at verse 9, we've read, that they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Well, I would suggest to you that that's, that's exactly what Isaiah says. It seems that the scope of this particular blessing moves out into different parts of the world, at least into different parts of the land of Israel, as we read uh, in Hosea and Leviticus. It talks about the earth. It talks about in the land. So at least we're talking about in the land of Israel. But if it will be 
that the great blessings of the kingdom eventually will envelop the whole world, I think we would be short-sighted to believe that what we see beginning here in Isaiah is where these incredible blessings remain. The whole point of bringing the nations up to the holy mountain is to encourage them to look at this as an example for what they could experience if they would accept the Lord Jesus Christ and follow in the ways of the truth, hear the law that goes out from the God of Jacob. Well, let's just have a look then at Isaiah chapter 11 a little bit more closely and focus in on verses 6 to 8. Just reading these three verses then, it says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. So what can we take from this? Well, one of the most important aspects of this is that it says that the wolf and the leopard go to the lamb or go to the kid. And what we're seeing here is that there is a, a division in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 8. There's a, a division is not the right word. There is a distinction between the animals which are wild by nature and the animals which are domesticated. And we have the wolf dwelling with the lamb, the leopard with the kid. It's the wolf and the leopard that do the traveling, that, do the, that move, that change. They come to Israel. That's the lesson here. We just looked all the way through at Leviticus, at Hosea, at Ezekiel, now in, in Isaiah. And we know who the flock is here. We know who these domesticated animals represent. They represent Israel as a nation. And that's why it is that the other nations come to them. They dwell with them. It's not the lamb going with the wolf or the leopard with the, excuse me, it's not the lamb going with the wolf or the kid with the leopard. It's the other way around. They come to Israel. And that is that focus on the word together. That is Jew and Gentile. If we read Ephesians chapter two, we know that, this middle wall of partition is broken down in the truth of the gospel. And Jew and Gentile can have fellowship together. And so here we have the wolf, the leopard, the young lion, the bear, and these, and these serpents that are tamed and that are able to have fellowship with the animals that they once preyed upon. And they used to prey upon that animal these animals, in the holy mountain. This is the place where wild animals used to destroy. It's where they used to 
hurt and destroyed, and now they are being transformed. They dwell together. They lie down together. They feed together. They eat together. And this isn't just simply a truce. This is real peace. This is the peace of God that has come upon the people that these animals represent. And this is exactly what it will be that the nations will have to learn to do. And it all has to do with knowledge. It all has to do with the transformative power of the knowledge of the truth. Now we talked about literal knowledge, the literal instinctive knowledge of animals. We looked at that in the book of Proverbs. Remember, there are three, four things that are little upon the earth that are exceeding wise. And so it's not out of place to speak about the natural creation of having a kind of knowledge. But Isaiah chapter 11 is speaking about a time when there will be a new knowledge for the animals, beginning at the holy mountain, new instincts for the animals. And what's the lesson then? If that is the literal, what is the allegorical? Well, if there will be new instincts for the animals, there will be new instruction for the nations that come to that place. And what do you think those nations are going to have to learn when they come up to the holy mountain? They're going to have to learn the same things that we have to learn now. The same things to not follow after our natural instincts, to not live after the flesh, though we walk in the flesh. To deny ourselves, to crucify the flesh with its affections and lusts. All those same things that we have to learn today are going to be the truths that the nations will learn in the kingdom. It's the same truth. It's the same stuff. And that's why the lesson applies to us. And so the taming of the animals in the holy mountain is a symbol of the taming of the nations that takes place there too. The knowledge of Yahweh will bring both to pass, both the literal and the allegorical. Look, you know what it says in Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. I would suggest to you that this is the, this is what it means to have the animals tamed in the holy mount. In the place where nations had come up for centuries in the past to hurt and to destroy, it says in Isaiah 2 verse 2 that it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. All different kinds of nations, as represented by the different kinds of animals which are described in Isaiah chapter 11. There will be those that have to change the, the, the venom with which they had worked as nations before. The deceit, as scripture would define that. There will be lion nations that will come up, made up of lion-like people 
who will need to change the way that they behave and be instructed in that holy mount. And it says in verse three that many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And look at what the result of this will be for the nations that come up to the holy mountain who will witness the transformation of the animals in the age to come. It says that he shall judge among the nations. He shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. That's just another way of saying they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As it says in Isaiah chapter 11. I just want to close with a couple of um, pictures here. After we summarize. In the holy mountain, animals that were once carnivorous will be changed. It will be a literal wonder. And the nations will ascend the holy mountain to learn about the gospel. And that natural wonder of the transformation of the animals will be a symbol of a spiritual transformation that will be taking place in them, that must take place in them, and that must take place in us if we are to be there. And that's why it is that Isaiah says at the end of the verse that we read in chapter four, he sees this incredible vision of the future and he turns to his own people, just as we have to turn to our own lives. And he says, O house of Israel, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Looks like I had some more slides before the pictures. And um, I just want to do a quick time check with Brother Rob here and ask if I have six and a half minutes left or two minutes. Brother Rob, could you, uh, could you let me know? Technically two, but I'm sure we're going to stretch to six and a half. Say that again, brother? Technically two, but I'm sure we can stretch to six <laughs> and a half. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll meet you halfway then. And um, I'm just going to describe this very quickly here. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11 um, is, is wonderful because if we look at the whole chapter, uh, we looked at the little section in verses six through eight, we, we're actually reading about the role of a shepherd. Um, that's how the Lord Jesus Christ is described here. And I never saw that that was the piece that helped bring the whole chapter together um, until I had a look at, uh, at the end of the study. And it's all about giving rest. That's what a shepherd does. In Isaiah chapter 11, it says that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, verse 2, and his rest shall be glorious. That is what a shepherd gives, because that's what it says in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside the waters of resting places. A shepherd gives rest. And that's exactly the idea that we have here. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, it says. Their young ones shall lie down together. And that's exactly what it says 
in the verses we just read in Psalm 23. He maketh me, Yahweh my shepherd, to lie down in green pastures. In other words, he gives rest. And though we don't have time to look at it, verses 10 through 16 speaks about a shepherd regathering his people who had been scattered. The, the idea of a shepherd having dominion over his flock is everything that Isaiah chapter 11 has to do with, both natural, but especially spiritual. So the animals in Yahweh's holy mountain will not hurt or destroy other animals or even little children. Their behavior will be governed by the wisdom and knowledge of their new instincts. And now for the pictures. So hopefully that summarizes everything uh, very well, but I'm sure you've seen these pictures before, brothers and sisters. I love these pictures. I'm gonna show you a new favorite that I have though, uh, just at our next picture. And this was, um, I'll just put it up here. This was uh, done by a 10-year-old uh, uh, little girl who, um, I, this was sent to me by, by a family in the truth, and it was her picture of the kingdom. And if you look at that, the reason why I want to focus in on, on this and leave this up as, as the last slide is because we really need to have for ourselves and for our young people a really clear picture about what the kingdom is going to be like and to know what to expect in that day and to be convicted about it and interested in it, to develop these pictures in our minds so that it's worth giving up that which we want to do naturally. When we look forward to the glories of the kingdom, we have to make sure that we understand them ourselves and be able to communicate that to our children in ways that are convicting and heartfelt and show that our lives are matching what it is that we profess and claim to be convicted about in our lives. And so we look forward to this great day when not only the animals are gonna be transformed, but the whole world will be transformed and our God will in invest incredible angelic power into each of us so that we, we might work together under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ to fill the earth with his glory as it was intended to be at the very beginning. Thank you.